Namaskar and welcome to Weekly Global Insights, episode 322. Thank you for your support for this News Insights program. Please like this program as soon as you start seeing it so it can reach its maximum potential. Today is Wednesday, the 16th of March, and here are some of the main points. Russia, Ukraine, Europe developments. More than 3 million Ukraine refugees have fled to adjacent countries like Poland along predicted lines. Eastern European leaders meet in Kyiv with Zelensky as Russian military continues to pound the capital. Zelensky thanks his partners Poland, Czech Republic and Slovenia after the visit and the mutual trust. Biden to travel to Europe to attend an in-person meeting with NATO leaders on March 24 in Brussels. Biden is expected to announce 800 million security aid to Ukraine in Brussels. Sridharji, welcome. And your thoughts on how things are playing out in uh, Ukraine, sir? Good morning to everybody. Uh, nice to be back again uh, on this uh, Wednesday evening, uh, Wednesday morning uh, in, in, in the United States. Uh, how is it playing out? I think it's playing along the lines that we had uh, predicted. And uh, many people were very harshly critical of you, which is to say that we are pushing the Western theories, our best the Western theories, they underestimated the tenacity of uh, the Ukrainians and the smaller nations. It's a very telling uh, message on the middle of a bombing that three prime ministers of three nations, Czech Republic, uh, Poland and Slovenia to visit and have a meeting and get back is a symbolic as well as a monumental sign, which is to say that we are here and we believe in the rights of Ukrainians and what Russia is doing is unacceptable. That is a message that is being sent uh, to Mr. Vladimir Putin. What is his army doing? We'll discuss that in a second. As I came into the show, both uh, Lavrov, Sergei Lavrov, the foreign minister of Russia, as well as uh, Zelensky are now saying there is a possibility for getting close to a ceasefire and a resolution of the matter, including uh, the so-called uh, you know, non-NATO membership uh, independence of uh, the the two Russian Donbas uh, republics, as well as uh, you know security guarantee that Ukraine can provide that it will not be a threat to Russia. So I think we are seeing on the predicted lines. I think Mr. Putin underestimated the tenacity of the Ukrainians. And Zelensky takes center stage on Wednesday as he addresses Congress after addressing Canadian Parliament on Tuesday. U.S. Senate backs war crimes probe of Putin and his regime, and the EU is likely to support it. Sridharji, what is happening in Ukraine where, you know, we are hearing stories of children's hospitals being bombed or, uh, you know, uh, apartment complexes also being casualty. You know, it's one thing to take out military installations, but this war has sort of lost its way, isn't it, sir? The war has lost its way. Um, the most important message to the world is, you know, Russia is all fluff and there is no stuff. If I have to use this, I know we'll get criticism, but please don't critique Sri Ayarji. This is me saying this. You want to critique me, you critique me. There's nothing but it's a telling sign that this is fluff. Uh, it's supposed to be the second most powerful nation our second most powerful power, military power in the world, has no capacity to take out the non-Ukrainian army, 
in 19 days of war. In Maripol, they have taken 400 civilians from that hospital that they bombed as potential hostages. So what's the difference between Mr. Saddam Hussein and Vladimir Putin? Or what is the difference between Mr. Putin and Slobodan Milosevic or, uh, you know, um, Karadich? Nothing. So which is the reason why there is a very strong case for this guy to be tried as a war criminal, but for all the human rights abuses that he has committed over a period of time? Where is he sitting? He's sitting. He spread false message that Zelensky is run out and hiding somewhere in Poland. Sorry, all the three prime ministers visited. Mr. Putin, no one has visited you. And you are conducting a campaign that is very, very disgraceful as a nation. That is what I would say as far as where Russia stands and what is going on with this war, sir. Sorry about that. Uh, we are now beginning to see active interference from uh, interested parties in trying to stop us. That means I think we have come of age, Sridharji. I just got kicked out and I came back in. As the news tightens around President Putin, he seeks a UN humanitarian resolution without mentioning war. Ukraine says its troops repel Kharkiv attack. After 19 days of war, Russian troops have failed to make gains and there is nothing to showcase the power of the much-touted Russian army for military analysts. NATO also have commenced planning for more troops in the eastern flank. Sridharji, uh, I saw one story yesterday on YouTube. It said that Russia is controlling close to 30 cities. Now, this is where things are getting a little murky. I have been in touch with people in Mikhailov, which is also a university town, which was under siege. Right now, it has gone quiet. I don't know. I'm not hearing from them, but I will soon enough hear and I'll give an update. Viewers, we are just telling you the data as we see it. Don't, you know, you should not shoot a messenger. Sridharji, what are your thoughts about NATO getting more and more troops now? So, you, do you think Russia is going to venture beyond Ukraine? No, I don't think so, sir. I think that uh, let us just, whenever we put uh, NATO in here, this is the EU nations uh, which are organizing, organizing themselves. Let's just take a look at Poland. 50%, over 50% of the 3 million refugees have gone into Poland. There is a real fear that after the last attack close to the Polish border, what would a desperate army do? So I think the, the NATO, which is predominantly the EU forces or European nation forces, have organized themselves in a both defensive and a deterrence posture should this by accident spill into one of the NATO nations. I think that's what you're seeing. And they're continuing to advance. Both France and Germany have advanced further aid uh, to Ukraine. This is defense aid uh, by way of military supplies so that Ukraine can protect itself and uh, or defend itself. Zelensky is giving a different view, which is to say that, yes, we are under fire. Yes, we are under attack in Kiev. Yes, in Kharkiv, we have uh, we have we have repelled the advance of the uh, the Russian forces. Yes, we are under siege in Mariupol. Yes, the hospital was bombed. Yes, 300 people were taken as hostage, 400 people were taken as hostage, but we are defending. So this is the message that is coming out. And the frustration of Mr. Putin is fairly visible by the postures that he is undertaking. For example, in Ewan, 
when the resolution came up yesterday, he wanted war to be deleted and he wanted the resolution to be passed as a human United Nations humanitarian corridor. These are all the signs of not a strong president. These are all the signs of a guy who is fearing reprisals. Probably is getting a message from his Chinese counterpart or his strategic partner that he may not be supporting him much longer. And Jake Sullivan delivers notice to Chinese leadership on potential Russian assistance and consequences. Not that the Chinese care. It's NATO resurgence and a weakening US that has made China wake up and pause and cause worry. Very similar to rising Asia-EU cooperation. Russia-China relationship is at a defining moment as China is confronted with choices. As a matter of fact, even if I, as I read this news, uh, the Chinese finance minister is going to be visiting India, sir. Well, I think that, uh, we, you know, we just, uh, there are so much of news here that, uh, you know, we could be jumping that gun. There's very interesting development taking place in the Korean Peninsula. When we get to that, we'll probably, if you can remind me, we'll answer this question. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, so I think that Chinese are suddenly realizing that, uh, you know, they need probably India more than they need Russia. Uh, you know, it's the second largest trading partner by being antagonistic. They are not going to solve because China is now facing the music from all other nations. A united Europe is going to pose a significant challenge in conjunction with a united Asia. So they are not they are not. I mean, Chinese are extremely smart. They are not stupid like Mr. Vladimir Putin. So they are looking for ways out to see how they can strengthen their position, especially with a new prime minister likely to take over with Lee, with Lee K. King retiring, sir. Uh, Russian bond default is going to further isolate and crush Russia economically. Putin signs into law to seize the leased aircraft standard after crippling sanctions take effect. Uh, we had a special episode with Professor R.V. on this particular topic. Do watch that one. We'll put the link to that in the show more section. Um, Sridharji, there are more than 500 leased aircraft sitting in various tarmacs in Russia, sir. And this is what Putin is uh, saying. Very simple, sir. Uh, United States is saying, I've got $300 billion of your reserve sitting in my central bank. You want $10 billion worth of uh, these planes? Take it. Where are you going to fly? No nation in the world wants you. Okay, maybe you can fly to North Korea. Maybe you can fly to Cambodia. Maybe if Chinese allow, you can fly it to China. Maybe you can fly around the Siberian desert. No nation in the world around you. No nation in the world around you wants you. So take it. You want 10 billion? You want to nationalize it? Take it. We have $300 billion of your central bank reserves. Guess what? All your tourists, none of them can access their money in your bank accounts. There's only one sanction that is pending. And when that happens, the squeeze will come. They have not put a ban on all Russian banks' access to the SWIFT payment system. When that happens, the real problem will hit the roof when people try to access their money from anywhere else in the world. This I'm not talking about government and businesses and Russian army. I'm talking about the Russian tourists and Russian citizens traveling all around the world. And the IMF in its report indicates that this war may change global economic order completely. As oil prices drop 27% from the invasion highs, Russia further faces prospects of economic hardships. Um, Sridharji, I thought uh, Putin had gamed the whole thing at $45 to a barrel, sir. Well, very simple. 
he had a double whammy. He, rec he must recognize that those who did spot contracts, they're in deep trouble. The price fell from $108, $110 to just less than $100 on the Brent. On the, when you look at the last 10 days trade, it has come down from $128 to $100. So you've got the first whammy. The second whammy is ruble or ruble, somebody wants to say, has crashed by 30. It's already, you know, it's close to 40% decline. And there's nobody wants to touch this. Nobody wants to touch. So where is he going to go? So he has got a contracting prices and he's got a depreciating currency. Now the Americans and EU are playing the game by telling the Iranians, you want to sign the deal? We'll take oil from you. Guess what? We'll dump Russia. Okay. Now, who has a partnership with, uh, with uh, many of the European nations have a partnership with, uh, with uh, Iran. China has a partnership with Iran. What does, where does that leave Mr. Putin? So I think he's beginning to see his uh, chessboard coins very fast disappear as these negotiations come in. It is extraordinary for International Monetary Fund to make a statement. They never make a statement on a war. It's they made two statements. One, they say that there is a real problem that is looming around the horizon and imminent default of Russia in its bond obligations, number one. Number two, which is even more important, we are seeing the emergence of a new economic order and new emergence of a new trade corridors from a volume of trade transactions. We may do a separate session on that, on that one separately. But all this is beginning to take its chilling effect on Russia in an economic context. I mean, we haven't ruled out, we just uh, you know, bypassed it. There is not ruled out that he could be tried for war, war crimes. Mr. Putin could be tried for war crimes and there is tremendous number of nations backing it, unlike other cases. This is an instance where many, many nations, almost all of the 30 EU nations are backing it. It's not an insignificant matter. This truth has not lost on itself. And in US news, the United States has several disappointments. And the top of the list is Vice President Kamala Harris, who's now deleted tweet claimed that the U.S. was supporting Ukraine in defense of NATO, which it is not part of. Sidhaji, I have not seen the tweet. And, and there have been attempts to try and run down VP Kamala Harris by her own party. Um, did you read the tweet, sir? Is that how you make of it, sir? Um, no, I got a copy of the tweet. Did I see her original tweet? I did not see the original tweet. I have seen the copy of the tweet. Uh, look, I think uh, we have a number of embarrassments in the United States. Okay, There are a number of things that we can be embarrassed about. Clearly, on the top of the picking order, this particular uh, person, uh, I don't know whether it is her over-anxiety, whether whatever is the syndrome, she makes wrong statements at the wrong time in the wrong place. That, that's, that pattern has consistently continued. We can go back, Sriji. We covered this in Global Insights, how she was put in as a border czar. And all we had during her tenure was more close to 3 million people coming across the border. When she was asked the question, why didn't you go to the border? She gave a reply, which is to say there is ICE and CBP taking care. I just, I needed to go where we are. So I'm not surprised that at any of the things that is being alluded to, notwithstanding the kind of fiefdoms that exist within the Democratic Party. And Dick Durbin pours cold water on talks of reviving 1.75 trillion social welfare and climate change bill as the GOP demands investigation of possible Russian financing of environmentalist groups. 
the 1.5 trillion spending omnibus is as as follows defense 782 billion domestic spending 730 billion doe labs 7.5 billion for overseeing 17 national labs earmarks of 10 billion ukraine support 13.6 billion foreign assistance in all roughly 50 billion including ukraine and no money for covid sir before i yield the floor to you i just want to make one observation when biden administration came to power they actually cut defense funding and and this is how the military industrial complex has fought back sir this happens yeah. time and time no i think you are absolutely correct so this made mitch mcconnell and the republican party say we got what we wanted in the 1.5 trillion dollars budget dick durban and Thanks to uh, Senator Manchin, they made sure that there is no chachkas uh, and the money is allocated. And Biden sees uh, this uh, uh, big Russian opportunity as his way out. I just don't believe the EU is going to give him the uh, the room. And I think they have done a pretty good job. Yes, 6% increase in the defense budget. Yes, there has also been increase in uh, the domestic spending, which is for various programs, including uh, social welfare, child credits, uh, medic- Medicare, medical prescription expansion, uh, infrastructure, all these kinds of programs have been given as part of the normal, um, uh, you know, extension of the budget. The most imp- two most important things. One is the money for this climate uh, stuff didn't happen. The second is the COVID program. They probably will uh, send it as a separate. So this Build Back Better, BBB as it's called, is called on arrival. So it's not going to happen. This is what Dick Durbin is saying. We will do another, I mean, we have been saying we haven't done it. The 2022 budget will look like we'll finish with $1.638 trillion deficit. I repeat, in a non-COVID year, 2020 we finished, 2021 finished, in 2022 we're going to have $1.638 trillion. We started some time ago, again, we covered this quite extensively with around $26 trillion deficit we have already gone past 30.8 trillion dollars in our deficit okay so this is government we need to delineate between the government and private enterprises it is the private enterprises that drive united states it is not the government the government goes on spending and produce away the money Uh, viewers you should watch a program or a five minute segment that i put out yesterday about the mighty us dollar not being so mighty anymore. Uh, Do watch that one to get a perspective. If the U.S. government continues to be profligate with money, it's going to only accelerate the downfall of the dollar. And I think some fiscal prudence is required. And Sridharji, whenever you have the research ready and done, we can have a separate schedule, a separate session for uh, decoding the current budget. And, And let's move on to the next item, sir. Senate votes to lift mask mandate for public transport the controversial sarah bloom raskin withdrawing her candidacy for fred nomination after manchin withdraws support senate passed the bill to make daylight savings permanent meaning no more change of clocks 16 weeks in a year sridharji this thing again caught me off guard sir uh, one day remember that that day we i was late yeah 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 so I think uh, basically, Sriji, they have heard you. They feel your pain. They say, no, we will not trouble Sriji anymore. 
we will put him through a consistent time pattern so the clock doesn't change us. So you don't need to worry any further about it. From next year, we will not have any daylight saving changes. So it's done. It's a bipartisan Democratic and Republican move. It's a good news. Well, you know, there's another good news. There is no more mass in public transport. Maybe they've been saying that for two years. There's no research to prove that uh, these masks are helping people. Now they're going to remove it. Notwithstanding the fact that there's 26 million people, 24 million people still with active uh, COVID cases, right? So therefore, we're going to pull it out. So that uh, you know, two a very interesting kind of news. Uh, as far as uh, Raskin is concerned, uh, Sarah is concerned. I mean, this uh, socialist uh, is very clear that uh, there's some controversial things that she has done. Uh, this is not the forum to discuss and debate. And uh, with Manchin saying, no, I'm not accepting this type of candidate. And basically, that's it. Mr. Biden has gone back. The Progressive Caucus has been successfully stalemated or checkmated, not stalemated, sorry, checkmated in terms of its maneuvers and moves. What they're going to respond with is an interesting um, interesting uh, scenario that is looming. We already did a program called, not many people watch, but we encourage you to watch, Democratic Social Alliance, DSA, that people should watch as to what is happening. They think that they have formed uh, some kind of a loose party or an alliance, and they will be fielding candidates against the established Democrats. So a lot to come, uh, Sriji, in, in U.S. politics. Sridharji, I'm struck by the similarities of the Tea Party group within the Republican Party and the Democratic Social Alliance within the Democratic Party. Uh, these are very interesting times. Uh, we will keep you posted. Clearly, the leader of progressives itself is now, you know, people are walking away from that. Kamala Harris was also identified with the progressives. I don't know where she stands now. And, and certainly Bernie Sanders is still there. I don't know where Elizabeth Warren stands. She's also one of those progressives, but she hasn't been making much statements lately. But all I'm saying is they have let these small young uh, kids in the block go and shoot off their mouth. And I think it's going to work to their disadvantage. We'll see in November. Let's take a look at Asia news. China is the largest trading partner of South Korea. With a resurgent North Korea, South Korea's new president yearned to pursue THAAD, T-H-A-A-D, missile system, which is irking China. North Korean new projectile, an unknown one, falls immediately after launch, launch, or you can think of it as it fails after launch, according to South Korean military. Japanese media have reported the same. Is this the new ICBM, Sridharji? Exactly. That's the one. That toy didn't work. So that failed. So I think somebody whosoever is egging him to do, well, they have egged him to do, and, uh, you know, he has fallen flat. So we have now a very interesting president in South Korea who is now aligned for the first time, aligned with both U.S. and Japan. That doesn't augur well for Mr. Xi Jinping. Okay, thus far, he was able to get away using the World War II, uh, you know, yields that China and South Korea uh, shared and ganged up against Japan. Whereas now he's saying, no, no, I don't believe, and I think that I expect more trouble. So I need to have the third missile uh, it is what is it? It's called as Terminal High uh, Altitude Area Defense Anti-Ballistic -Missi -Anti Missile System. What Chinese are afraid is this, this is an U.S. American missile system. It gives the South Koreans and the United States 
a peep and access into the military preparations of the Chinese around the area. So they are a little bit rattled with this development. And all you need is the unison of unite or unison of Taiwan, Korea, and Japan that spells problems uh, for China based on what you are witnessing uh, in Russia-Ukraine conflict. Uh, viewers, one thing I must mention here that US's technology in terms of arms and armaments is still further ahead than Russia and China. And they have been all through this muddy gov government statements. They have at least kept all that under the wrap. So people don't know what the US can do if it is challenged. And we'll just leave it at that. And just to add to what Siddharthi said, that was the answer to S-400 as far as India was concerned, which is what India walked away from. But just keep that in mind. What plays out is something that none of us have control over. But we just want to tell you the comparison. South Korea's new president vows big cryptocurrency push and not to be left behind Japan and China in the region as digital currency gains momentum. Sridharji, we again had a very detailed discussion about Japan, South Korea, China, and a few other ASEAN countries adopting digital currency for inter-country trade. Correct. Do you think it's going to go beyond that into retail, sir? No. No. This is purely for G2G and potentially G2B transactions. Um, and probably we'll do one more show as to how Japan, the G2G and G2B international trade finance and international trade mechanics and the policies around how trading countries and trading entities do business with Japan. And they're streamlining the whole, uh, what we call as the ELC and uh, standby letters of credit and letters of credit uh, processes. So which will make the whole thing much more seamless and eliminate fraud with digital. So this is the reason why that even United States woke up albeit late and launched the central bank digital um, efforts or the, what they call C, digital service, CB, uh, CBDS, it is called in the US. So they just started the policy framework around that. So this digital is real. Korea is one of the leading crypto nations in the world along with Japan. There's a lot of blockchain and retail activity that takes place out of uh, uh, out of Korea. So you can see, again, a very positive step from the tentative, tentativeness that Moonray had in the prior years of the Korean presidency. So we are seeing a resurgent Korea back into, back into business. And this is very positive news. And I will not be surprised if uh, Korea becomes an aspirant and joins the Quad. And uh, indeed, you're right, sir. And I would recommend that India start using digital rupee when the center disburses payments to the state government towards specific projects. You know, the reason for that is that with a digital rupee and with a blockchain backing it, they can easily monitor that the money that is being given to the states intended for a specific purpose get spent only for that specific purpose. Modiji, it is believed, had a shock of his life when he found that one state government would get the money from the center and then it would disperse the money from the local state bank to all the 230 or whatever number of legislators there were there. The money used to just get spread down. Nothing went to the people. 
This was the state it was in 2014. It won't come out. I'm just telling you, I'm not naming the state, but you can you can make your own guess. That is how bad India was being governed under the UPA. I mean, for all their you know achievements, they really ruined the financial system, Sridharji. Well, you know, I think that uh, I, I don't have much credibility to comment except to endorse what you're saying as far as the disbursement of uh, the Indian, um, what you call the corruption that prevails probably in the Indian system. But uh, if you are using a cash-based and if you are using a non-trackable uh, monetary distribution system, then you know this uh, it is laden with uh, problems. The great things about the crypto is it is traceable and it is reversible. The transactions are reversible and the transactions are traceable. There's a company that we are working with in Israel, which is supported by the Israeli government, uh, which has come up with a very unique protocol uh, in handling these types of reversing the transactions. And it's not yet mainstream. Yes, sir. Viewers, I have a joke to tell you. I'm sorry, it is an analysis program, but I have to tell you this joke because you will remember it for a long time. So an Indian congressman, uh, or I should not say congressman, a member of parliament, Indian member of parliament, visits the United States and he becomes a good friend with a senator there. And the senator invites this person to come to his house for a weekend. So the Indian MP goes to the senator's house for the weekend. It is some state in, in, in the United States. And they are sitting and having coffee. And then uh, the senator is looking out the window and the member of parliament looks out the window. And the senator looks at the, there's a bridge. There's a river by his house and there's a bridge connect, built across that river. And, and he points to that and says to the MP, see that bridge? 10%. So the implication was that he got a 10% kickback out of this. So the MP nods his head wisely. And then six months later, the senator pays a visit to the MP's uh, constituency. So he comes to India and then the MP takes him to his house. And, and they are having coffee again in the MP's house. And then the MP is looking outside. Sure enough, there's a river. And uh, the senator also looks out. And then the MP says, see the river? 100%. The guy didn't even put a single paisa into the bridge. And this is the true story, by the way. <laughs> Amazing, sir. So it's good. I learned something, uh, you know, a great deal just listening to you, uh, you know, in the show. Thank you, Sriji. Uh, and pursuing a rules-based policy, Japan, Australia, and India to frame a new Indo-Pacific supply chain code. It is likely that Japan would change in Korean leadership may invite them to join the group. This is the first sure shot sign that the relations between South Korea and Japan are improving, Sergi. It is. We reported again in Daily Global Insights or Global Insights that the first call, first call on Friday last week went from Mr. Kishida to Mr. Yul. And that call was made to reassure him that, you know, Japan is looking forward to working with him in a positive manner and Japan trade partnership uh, to restart or kickstart and also the strategic dialogue around the challenges in East China Sea as well as in Taiwan Strait. Uh, we reported that at that stage itself that there's some positive momentum expected with the change in presidency. The change in presidency was, I mean, I think she asked the question that day. I'll repeat again, three essential reasons. One, 
the fear of North Korea and a stronger leadership required in South Korea. That's number one. Number two, the mishandling of the COVID situation locally within the country. The cases have not subsided. Once upon, at one point, they had risen to about 2 million active cases, moving up to number, top three positions. And second, the economic policies, which really, I mean, South Korea is a great nation as a trading nation. It's a great trading, great, great manufacturing and, uh, you know, great nation. It has bilateral partnerships with several countries, you know, in the 100 plus billions uh, in terms of the bilater uh, bilateral trade volumes. So I think that that was, uh, you know, flagging. And three reasons you saw, you witnessed a change in presidency, and I believe it's very positive momentum. And I think it's also an important sign for India to get its act together and make a decision rather than sitting on the fence what it wants to do. Once Australia, Japan, and Korea come together, it's only a matter of time because the Indonesians believe in the same, and Indonesia, Philippines, and Vietnam will form a very formidable block along with Taiwan in the region. So I think whether India will move forward in a much more positive manner rather than saying this is another Western propaganda or Western this and that and so on, uh, you know, then one has to call the shots. When we come to the Indian section, we'll talk about the India-Russia, the so-called, uh, you know, Bonhami and what it actually means from an economic context. And in Indian news, India is taking up Russian discounted crude oil will not be a violation of U.S. sanctions, asserts White House. But Democratic Indian American Congressman Dr. Ami Bera critiques India move. Here is another one who is one of those guys who wants to be more American than Indian. That's okay. The much touted India-Russia energy trade stood at 1 billion, ranked 28, compared with 8 billion from the U.S., which occupies the second position. Sridharji, this is very interesting. For a change, the Biden administration is saying okay for India to get part of its oil requirements from Russia using the Russia-Ruble trade agreement. Now, <laughs> why is an Indian-American congressman, Ami Bera, this person actually is from my state of California, uh, complaining about that, sir? No, I think let's delineate. Uh, as far as um, we have to be very clear and very precise. This is with uh, a very specific entity which has got uh, the special type of crew which is allowed to be traded in the international markets. And this particular trade is not in the sanction list. Remember, all items are not in the sanction list as far as is concerned. So India has developed the technology to take the basic crude and has the refining capacity to convert it into a specific levels of um, octane and use it. This is how India built uh, its export industry. And one of the reasons why India also achieved to, to a considerable uh, account, uh, the average uh, per gallon uh, or a million uh, average uh, price to about $45 today, it is around $75 because of its ability to take and it, when it diluted 35% stake in the refining capacity and gave it to a number of private enterprises. So this is that crude that we are talking about. It is not the free flow of oil that is coming from Russia. So this is the delineation with Jen Pesaki also pointed out and it is exempted. So therefore, 
Whether the future trades, they will open rupee ruble account with the banks, we don't know. How they will bypass that, we don't know. But we are talking about a minuscule amount in terms of the bilateral trade between Russia and India. In Russia ranks 28th in the list. United States ranks number two in terms of the crude. Number one is Iraq. Iraq is the number one supplier and United States replaced Saudi Arabia as the number two supplier. Thanks to President Trump and thanks to Prime Minister Modi, they, have been, they were able to strike this deal and achieve efficiency. And that is why you had lower gas prices and lower tariffs and lower excise duties or whatever import duties that India had to pay. Right. So achieved efficient refining capacity plus also increase the bilateral trade. So Russia is a little poo poo as far as the energy trade is concerned on the India Russia partnership. I don't know how much ever you can do. There's there's a lot of you know logger jams that Russia has to bypass before it makes any kind of material impact on the energy business. You know, um, much of the uh, the bonhomie and the friendship that existed between Donald Trump and Narendra Modi does not get mentioned in the main, main mainstream media press in India. It's very, very unfortunate. And this was before the DGI was on, by the way. We started DGI only around the time of the elections to the 2020 presidency. So this happened, I'm talking about 2016, 17, 18, 19, those three years. And, and a lot of things were put in place, which now only people are coming to know. And, and please understand, world business, world economics is a complicated subject. You not you don't necessarily choose one or the other. You always look for what's best for your country. And I believe, at least in this particular aspect, Mr. Modi has been very, very pro-India, looking for what is best for his country. It's not easy. That's all I can tell you. We can have critiques about his policies in some cases, but as an individual, he has always put the country ahead of everything else. There are at least eight defense projects from MiG-29 to AK-403 rifles to submarine projects, including the S-400, that could be impacted due to Russia-Ukraine war and sanctions. We mentioned this before also. The high-tech chips supply to Russia, that pipe has completely dried up. And I think China has been warned not to give its supply of whatever to Russia. China itself is under some high-tech sanctions from the United States. So I think this is the other danger that India is facing. They may not get the future S-400 shipments because the chips may not be ready. You watch. You should watch the Elmer Yuan video that we put out where Elmer detailed what was happening in this particular situation. Sridharji, we've been talking about this. Somehow, there is always a, a, a bunch of people saying something exactly opposite. And yet, every time they get proved wrong, sir, I mean, if they get proved right, even once I can understand that and we will admit that we are wrong. We are looking at data and telling what it is. So I think, uh, look, um, there's one specific example that I will point out. The stuff that you get from Russia is junk. Nothing but junk. I've worked going back maybe many, many decades with some of the Russian stuff. It's nothing but junk. Okay. Let's take MiGs. Ukraine said, no, we do not want MiGs, notwithstanding the fact we can fly MiGs because it's the same MiGs that has failed the Russians in this specific war. Okay. Who does the maintenance of MiGs? The India does maintenance of the MiGs. Remember, we again covered in insights 
that India was to be the maintenance wing should Malaysia acquire MiGs from Russia. Okay, this was going back in time. So many of these stuff, AK-47 rifles, MiGs, uh, I won't comment anything about S-400 and its effectiveness. It probably was cheap and Indian defense and scientists said, let's get it and let's figure this out and how to make it work. Much of it, including BrahMos, which is an India-Russia collaboration, is all because a platform was available, which India did not have for almost 65 years, thanks to the socialistic policies that India pursued and the collaboration that they had with Russia. Right Today, they are getting a much more open-ended platform at the insistence of the present regime, especially for the last few years, and they are building capabilities on top of it. And so, therefore, I think that is the challenge, though, as is pointed out, what's going to happen to the spare parts? I think that's where the issue is. Again, let me give you another example to point out. Russia-India defense trade has contracted by 47%. Much of that volume has gone to France, Israel, and United States. Okay, much of it. Let me give you the size of the volume of the defense between India and Russia. 2001 to 2010, $15 billion. 2000, 2010, 2011 to 2020 is $20 billion. You are talking about a $35 billion over 20 years. That's $1.7 billion a year. And yet, many in India, and you know, many pundits, many you know, all these people who come and say, "Oh, we have a strategic bond army, 1.7 billion dollars." Okay, 1.7 in the in the military side. Okay, on the bilateral trade side, they are not even in the radar in the first 20. Even Singapore is in the top of the list. Malaysia is in the top of the list. This is the bond army between. India, Russia, many people say, oh, Russia came here. No, it's because India chose to follow the Russian model and Russian policies for 60 plus years. And they still continue. And hopefully one day they will change. Things started changing in the Narsimha Rao regime, believe it or not. And that is when India started looking actively towards Israel for some of its military technology. I can't tell you a whole lot. But I knew this 30 years ago. Again, listen, India's media only reports what it wants to report. It doesn't report news. You can, you can go back and check with people who have worked in the uh, uh, you know, re design research centers of India where military technology of tomorrow is being designed. They'll tell you the truth. The U.S. has also said that there is no indication of anything other than being accidental, the firing of a missile that landed in Pakistan. See that, the I put out a video on this as to other possibilities of what happened, and that has become a big viral hit, sir. Well, I think, uh, Sriji, I think uh, you have probably more data than myself, and I will go with the uh, official line that it was a mistake. It's a maintenance issue. And something got accidentally fired, landed in Pakistan. Lo and behold, nobody saw it. It landed. Suddenly, there was some issues and they picked up, oh, somewhere it has come from and they found probably uh, Indian marks. It's obviously naturally tracked by the satellites, right? So, therefore, U.S. was very much aware as to what was going on or what happened. And, you know, they just said, okay, good. India, India says that it is accidental. And they said, okay, it's accidental. That's about it. But maybe you want to know more, you need to probably watch Sri IRG's video.
<laughs> see, there is text, there is context, and there is subtext. It's up to you to see what you want. Uh, rising crude prices could pose GDP headwinds and peg the growth at 8 to 8.5% than the 8 to 10% range predicted, says Finance Minister Nirmala Sitaraman. And in market news, markets rally around the world with possibilities of an Iran deal and Iran oil as oil drops below $100 and then climbs back. So it's hovering around $100. The US market futures were up by 1%. With an imminent Fed hike of 25 basis point, the 10-year T-notes climbs to 2.18%. See, the T-notes is like a bond, where I understood it, Sridharji. And if it is going up, that means the broad market in the United States thinks that money is going to move away from stocks to bonds. Am I right, sir? I think the uh, the general trend is that the uh, you know T bonds are usually effectively used like a cash like web, cash like instrument. When the gap is uh, is almost equal to zero, that means it is considered stable because bond equals. So when it the yield goes up, then the you are spending hundred dollars for actually getting ninety seven ninety six dollars worth of a T bond because you have an inflation. So if you keep cash, the inflation discounts your cash. But if you put that in the bond, at least you are to some extent covering the, the real value through uh, by uh, hedging against the inflation. So the going down of the yield is uh, or going up of the yield is a reflection that there is imminent inflation and that is being factored in. And people rush because rush to the T notes to hedge themselves against market gyrations and put some amount against any risks that flow from the, the stock markets. Thank you very much, uh, Ji, And that brings us to a close of today's segment. It was a little bit long. I hope you found it useful. And as always, we'll be back Friday, same time, same place. Namaskar. Namaskar. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. Have a wonderful evening.